0: Hi, this is An Unexpected Launch, a show about stories and the people behind them. I'm speaking with people who've who've gracefully navigated an unexpected life circumstance. These are stories of resilience, connection, and community. Stories of lives being reimagined, rewritten, and rebuilt. I'm Kirsten, and today's story is about Sherry. Sherry's a fighter. After being abandoned at birth, Sherry methodically completed one checklist after another, becoming a lawyer, a wife, a mother, a breast cancer survivor, a life coach, and most recently, an author. Her first book, The 50-50 Friendship Flow, was recently published, and it's gone far beyond a book. Sherry's created a movement. When Sherry entered into her 40s, she realized that something was missing from her life, after surviving a catastrophic car accident and a breast cancer diagnosis requiring a double mastectomy, Sherry reevaluated her life and her friendships. She vowed that she wouldn't let another year pass without sharing what her friends mean to her. These conversations were, th- were life changing and resulted in her debut book. Welcome to an unexpected launch, Sherry.
1: Hi, thank you. I'm so excited to be here.
0: I'm excited to be talking with you today. So, Sherry, I'm going to start at the very beginning of your life, which was traumatic. You were born in Korea. You were abandoned. You were left in a cardboard box in a parking lot, and eventually you were adopted. Can you tell us your experience as an adopted child and how that experience shaped you? Sure.
1: Well, this is back in... 1970 when I was adopted. I was born sometime in 1969. Um, I say sometime because I actually, as you mentioned, I was abandoned and found in a cardboard box. It was a parking lot in Seoul, Korea. Um, I was found without any identifying information. So I do know I was born in 1969. (laughs) I just don't know exactly when. Uh, But my adoption story started in 1970 when I was adopted by an American couple. And came over here to the United States. And this was a time when international adoptions had there were it was still in the, its infancy. Uh, Korea was the first, South Korea was the first country to internationally adopt as a result of the Korean War. Um, although I'm not a direct product of the Korean War, I'm still considered that first wave of adoptees. So our adoption experience is a lot different than adoptees nowadays. We didn't have the internet, we didn't, our parents didn't have uh, groups necessarily to, to talk to, to discuss adoption issues. So growing up as an adopted child from South Korea in 1970 and, and my early years, uh, it, adoption really wasn't talked about. And it was sort of—it wasn't hidden from me, but it was really brushed under the rug. Um, I really didn't start processing what it meant to me until until much later in life.
0: So you, in turn, adopt a daughter who, coincidentally, was also abandoned in a cardboard box. How did being adopted shape your views of motherhood? specifically guiding your daughter and really truly understanding what challenges and questions might lie ahead for her
1: yeah i learned a lot about my own adoption after adopting her and by the time we adopted her which was 2001 we did have these adoption groups and i was able to see other adopted children and watching her grow up and seeing the questions that she's had she's now in her first year of college I found wow these are these are very similar experiences that she and I are having. She was adopted from China, a different country, but very similar um, experiences. She doesn't know her birthday either. Uh, the struggle with identity uh, and, and really trying to find a place. Uh, there's a there's a lot of similarities, and I think the fact that we have similar experiences that gives us a place to find a common story, and it really. I, I feel that really helps with her um, acceptance of kind of who she is and, and, and the things that she doesn't know about herself.
0: Well, and I can imagine as you're seeing her go through your journey, you may have started processing things that you hadn't really thought of before. And and that's one of the reasons I'm so happy that you're sharing your story with me today because, again, I just I truly believe that by sharing our journey and sharing our story – not only do we help other people through their journey, but we continue to learn about ourselves, which is is so important.
1: Yes, I mean, it's little things. Like I would watch uh, adults tell my daughter how lucky she was to have a family. And they're very well-meaning adults. But it reminded me, wow, what was that like growing up as a child, always being told that you're lucky to have a family Mm -hmm. and the effects that that has? Or... Even though she looks similar to me, uh, she's constantly explaining why she belongs in the family she does. Uh, her brother is biological, a biological product of my husband and I, and they look—they don't look similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so she's always had to explain, even to adult strangers as a child, why she belongs in her family. And seeing her do that, I remember doing that myself. And just recognizing that as a young child, growing up that way, always trying to justify or having to justify that you belong in a family, uh, it has to have some level of effect.
0: Well, and in fact, in, in your blog, you, you, you talk about some of these things, and you address that adoption, whether you are adopted or you are adopting a child that it can be a really traumatic event and that children who are adopted, as you've just mentioned, face an identity crisis. What advice would you have for children who are adopted and for parents who are adopting a child?
1: I think one thing that is either ignored or glossed over that really needs to be addressed at some point is the loss that the adoptee uh, has, the loss of the Birth family, sometimes the birth country, uh, that entire identity. We spend so much time celebrating adoption, which I think is wonderful. I think adoption is, is fabulous, but we can't ignore the loss either, and we have to make sure that our adopted children feel comfortable talking about their loss. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Creating that safe space, and mm-hmm. and as you say, you know, being made to feel that you were lucky to be in a family. You know, these these are things. I again, I think that people are so well-meaning but often don't understand the impact of something that's seemingly simple, um, how that impacts a, a child and, and their identity.
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah, I, I think about that and I think, wow, you know, to constantly to be told that you're lucky to have a home mm-hmm. is, um, it's it's actually, it's, it's quite shocking when yeah. you think
0: about it. <laughs> I agree. So I want to go back a little bit. We we mentioned this a little bit in the beginning that just even as a young girl, you've always been a checklist person, completing your life in order. And you you progress through your life in a stepwise fashion that really made sense to you at the time. And I so relate to this and I suspect that many other women particularly will. Um, somewhat blindly walking through life and not really taking time to be mindful of the choices that we're making. And we follow an order that is it prescribed by society or I'm not quite sure, but we don't really ask ourselves what we truly want. And so I'm curious, do you still approach your life in this I should do X, Y, or Z fashion?
1: I am, in a sense, still a checklist person. That's a different type of checklist. My checklist now, because I love lists, I'm a schedule-oriented person, but it's what I want to do. It's what I feel I want to do next. And I think that I parent differently because of this. And my, my daughter, who is more of a creative mind uh, than the rest of us at home, you know, we're, we're very linear in our thought, and, and she has this amazing creative mind. And I always tell you, you know to explore and do what you love. Don't worry about having you know doing. If you want to go to a four-year college, great, that's perfect. But if you have a different path, that's fine too. Uh, and I think just understanding this that you now at this age that that checklist is something that needs to come from inside and not this external. Um, these external expectations that we think other people have on us is really important as we, especially as we parent our children.
0: You know, I I agree with you, and I was I was exactly that that checklist stepwise person. I did everything in the order that I thought that I should be doing, and um, you know, my my middle son, for example, didn't go to college, and I think that before that would have just really thrown me for a loop, but now I I, I like you, I so embrace encouraging people to think about what do you truly want? Because we have time and choices and opportunity to explore these things. You know, there is absolutely no reason that we should go through life in this stepwise fashion, just because other people have. And so I think it's really empowering and really freeing. And I, I, like you, feel that I I parent in a different way with that that perspective that I didn't have when my children were younger, and I wish that I would have.
1: (laughs) Yeah, me too. I learned it a little later in my life. <laughs> later is better than Exactly,
0: exactly. So, Sherry, I want to shift gears a little bit. And in 2017, you were diagnosed with breast cancer. And I want to take you back to that first moment when you heard the, the diagnosis, you have breast cancer. What were your first thoughts in that moment?
1: So, um It was interesting because I, being that checklist person, I was somebody, that schedule-oriented person that went to my mammogram appointments every single year from age 40 on. And I had earlier that year as well, and I had just happened to be in my doctor's office for something entirely unrelated, and she mentioned that I had not had a physical that year. And we kind of hemmed and hawed whether or not I wanted to do it that day. Uh, We went ahead, and that's when she felt a lump, and then the diagnostic process started. So this really, as it does with a lot of, if not most, cancer patients, came out of the blue. Uh, My son was 15, and my daughter was 17 at the time. And I do remember the day when I got the call from my doctor uh, telling me that I had Breast cancer. She apologized and, and said, "I'm sorry, uh, you have, but you have breast cancer." And I literally uh dealt my knees. I, I I remember that moment. I was paralyzed.
0: Mm-hmm. And hearing that diagnosis and feeling that paralysis, what did you fear the most of of hearing that diagnosis?
1: My, you know, I don't. Well, I know what my fear is now. And I and actually, as you asked that question, I, I am thinking about the fear, of course, is death, dying. I don't know that I was as afraid of the medical treatments, I thought at the time. Um, but definitely leaving my kids, mm-hmm. that, was, that was the biggest. Mm-hmm
0: and And I remember reading, I believe in your blog that you you told your children about your diagnosis. What was that like to to watch their faces as you're sharing that diagnosis? Yeah, we
1: called for a family meeting and uh, at the time we had one dog we didn't have to but my my son, who was fifteen, was sitting on the floor with the, my dog, our dog, and he went to look at my husband or I. Uh, as, as I explained that I had breast cancer, he just said he knew. Mm-hmm. Uh, he Because I was a parent that always went and picked him up from school, took him to school. And in recent weeks, because the I had not known this until my experience, the diagnostic procedure could be lengthy mm-hmm. and with a number of appointments. And he recognized that I wasn't able to pick him up from school. So he knew something was up. Uh, he stayed pretty quiet. My daughter looked over at my husband and said dad's crying and once she made that um notice of course everyone everyone started crying but yeah that's one of those moments that sticks in my head and it kind of plays back like a slow motion movie Mm -hmm. for me
0: well I I'm I think our children are so intuitive Mm -hmm. and um you know I think that we may think that we're sheltering them from something or or that Maybe we're we're going about our day as that everything is just fine. But I I'm so fascinated by how intuitive our children are, and often they they may be thinking something or feeling it, but they don't ask us. So like your son never said, "Gosh, mom, you're not picking me up. Is everything okay?" Um, but but they're they're wondering that in the back of their mind and they're processing these things.
1: Yes, and I remember uh, after that, my husband then was still picking him up quite a bit, driving him quite a bit, because I had many appointments. And one afternoon, my husband said, you need to talk to our son, Zach, uh, because he said, Dad, there's no cure for cancer. So he had been doing his own research on his own, unbeknownst to us with the internet and and looking things up. Um, So that's one thing I think that I would probably do differently in the situation. I may talk to my kids a little bit more about the process that I was going Mm -hmm. through.
0: Well, and at the time we, we do the best that we can, and it's really only in retrospect that we think we could have done these things differently. And this again is why I love having these conversations because I really like for people who might be in your shoes thinking about how do I tell my children or how do I help my children through this process these are things that, in the moment, you you don't have the, the the bandwidth to be thinking about these things. You you're simply trying to absorb the diagnosis, go through treatment, and so by hearing stories of others, it helps us think about what are those little tips that I might not otherwise know. So, thank you, Sherry. I really appreciate you being so open. Um, You know, one of the things that you also mentioned is how much you struggled with loneliness during your cancer treatment. And I know that you are not alone in this feeling. So many people who are going through cancer feel isolated and lonely. And I'd love to know what helped you when you were feeling those loneliest moments. What helped you get through those moments?
1: Yeah, cancer, as I imagine many um, other diagnoses, is a very... lonely process. You could have rooms, a room full of people around you all the time and you're still alone. Mm-hmm. Um, it sits in your head and it, it just it kind of encompasses, it can encompass all your thoughts. For me, that's when I started journaling. Uh, my first thought actually, and everyone is different, you never know how you're going to react to a tragedy until it happens to you. Uh, I used to say that about cancer and then now I know how I'm going to I'd react. But my, my thought when it happened was there has to be a purpose to this. And I started journaling and I still journal every day to this day. And part of my journal practice is I look back on now I'm at three years. I look back on the years prior on that date and I'm able to see the growth and the progress that I've made. So one journaling really helped me, um, it, it kept me on focus too. Also too, I, I started listening to, listening to podcasts like yours. I searched for podcasts that were inspiring, stories of people who have, had struggled or had gone. it wasn't necessarily podcasts about cancer, but people and, and hearing their stories about their lives and recognizing that we all have challenges. Um, you know, Oprah's Super Soul Sunday was a big one for me in, in that regard. So that was the second thing I did. Uh, the third thing also was reading. I, I really picked books because I I needed everything that came into my mind to be positive. Mm-hmm. Uh, I needed to kind of find tools to keep my, what I wanted, how I wanted to keep my mind on track.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I, I, I so relate to your listening to podcasts of people and it didn't matter what their story was. And you know, when I was in my lowest moments and trying to figure out how to move forward, it was listening to the stories of other people and it didn't it didn't matter what they had been through. It's just that they found themselves on their knees at their lowest moment and they use that. As you said, what's the purpose of what's happening and how do I use that to propel myself forward? And so I think that that's again the the power of stories. Um, so I'd love to know what was the most valuable lesson of your cancer journey. You
1: know, there's a there's a quote that uh, it comes in the form of a question. That's I write sometimes in my journal, and it is, if you were If today was the last day of your life, would you be doing what you're doing now? And for me, not just that quote, but having that experience where one day everything was fine and I felt fine. And I actually still felt fine after I got the initial diagnosis. I mean, Mm -hmm. nothing off, you know, I didn't all of a sudden feel cancer. Mm -hmm. Um, But having that experience from one day to the next made me realize or emphasize that things can change very fast and so I want to make sure that the time that I spend each day is what is doing what I want to do and this especially comes up for me when when I'm not feeling so great or I'm kind of grumpy or 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 somebody or something is irritating me uh, I think about that and, and the answer is always no if I'm in that negative space <laughs> that's not how I want to spend my last day right, right. Um, so that that's was a big lesson for me personally
0: with that cancer, with the cancer experience. Mm, I love that, thank you for sharing that. So I'm gonna switch gears again a little bit. And um, in your late forties, you start having conversations with important women in your life. Why was having these conversations important to you? And and how did you start having these conversations?
1: Sure, I happened to uh, attend a memorial service of a friend. And at the memorial service, they gave people the opportunity to stand up and and say a few words. And this person, she was obviously loved by so many people. And I I recognized some of the people that stood up, others I didn't know, but they were all sharing stories and making comments about how this woman affected their lives. And the stories weren't similar. They They were different from each person. I mean, they had a few common threads, but they were amazing stories. And I thought, well, this is great, but how sad is it that they weren't telling her this? So I decided, I happened to be, uh, it happened to be right before my 49th birthday. So I decided actually between my 49th and 50th birthday that I was going to sit down and meet one on one with 50 women for the sole purpose of telling them what I've learned from them, what they mean to me, what I see in them, with the idea that everyone we meet is both our teacher and our student.
0: I think that's so powerful, and I think that, you know, we, particularly as women, we love the women in our lives, and we rarely articulate that. And um, certainly not on the the, the scheme that, or the, the grand scheme that you did. For one year for my birthday, this was after my life had quite transformed, and I was so appreciative of the women in my life. And for my birthday, I said... I don't want any gifts. I want you each to come to the birthday dinner having written something that you admire about each person that is around the table, and it was so powerful, and I think it's not only powerful to share um, how you feel about people in your life, but as that recipient of that that admiration or um comments of, of what some a friendship means to you is so powerful because we often don't hear it and we don't think about it. And so um, I think it's so important. And this is what I absolutely love about this, this, um, the conversations that you had. And so as you're having these conversations, what did you learn throughout this process?
1: When it got easier <laughs> <more than laughs> I went along, because it's a little bit of an awkward conversation yeah. just because we don't do this, as you said, and we talk to our friends, but we never talk about our friendship. Yeah. And so it did help for me to frame it in, by telling people I'm taking this challenge or I'm challenging myself, because I at least put it into the framework mm-hmm. uh, to make. Because everyone wants to help you complete a challenge, <laughs> but, you know, and, and doing this though, um, the I I captured these meetings on Facebook, and this is before I knew. I was gonna write about it in, in a book. I just would capture these and write a little something about it. And I really found that that piece of reflection, that writing part, gave me so much gratitude. And as mm-hmm. I went along, and fifty is a big number, so as I went along, it was impossible for me not to just feel so much gratitude for all the women that have come into my life. Some of them were new acquaintances, Others I had known for basically a lifetime. Uh, so what I learned from myself is, one, that, that I'm, I'm lucky, for lack of better words, you know, that, that I think we all are. Mm-hmm. And it's just being able to notice this and recognize this uh, was, was very powerful.
0: And, and what do you think that the women that you were having the conversations with, what do you think that they took away from the conversations?
1: You know, it was not un- uncommon that people got emotional. And as I started to do this, and as I said, I, I was posting this on Facebook, so the women down the line kind of knew what was going on. <laughs> and some would get nervous ahead of time because they had no idea what I was going to say, even though they trusted it was going to be positive. Um, and so I guarantee you, every woman that I met with of those 50 women will remember that date and they'll remember it for years. It's something that's gonna stick out to them, not because it was some grand dinner or celebration or anything like that, but because it was a moment that somebody said, hey, this is what I've learned from you, and this is how you've changed my life. And, and, and some of them went ahead and did this challenge themselves and have paid it forward in, in different ways, whatever way is comfortable for them. Some are writing notes. Others decide to meet with five people. Uh, one woman decided to meet with uh, some men in her life, uh, mentors, um, but it's an experience that others have taken forward, which I'm thrilled about. Well,
0: and that's what I alluded to in the beginning, that it's gone beyond a book, and, and it is um, a journal as well. It's a fantastic book. I'm absolutely loving reading all of the, the stories and the takeaways, and I love the reflection. It, so it's a really powerful book, and I highly recommend it. As you've seen this take off and and turn into a movement, how has that impacted you? I'm
1: so so grateful. Uh, When I decided to write it or put my experience into this book form, my thought throughout the whole process was, I just want to be able to change one woman. Mm -hmm. I want one woman to do this, and maybe she'll change another woman. And so every time I hear, uh, get a message from someone uh, recently, I had a woman tell me she sent it to her sister in law in Hungary, hmm. and her sister in law read it, read the book, and she started doing this in Hungary, and it was the best. It was, it was a the best Facebook message I have ever gotten <laughs> actually. Um, so yeah, when I when I hear that people are doing this in whatever form it takes, uh, one I'm amazed. <laughs> Two I I'm really grateful.
0: Well, I think it's phenomenal, and I highly recommend people try it out. Um, And then speaking of of that, you've recently launched another initiative, and now you're meeting with 52 women over Zoom, and you're asking them all the same question, which is, what is the mess that became your message? So tell us about how this concept evolved.
1: Sure. It was during, uh, well, we're still a little bit in in lockdown, but during (laughs) the (laughs) COVID-19 pandemic, and... We're all sitting at home. I have a subscription to master class. And so I was taking Robin Roberts' master class. And she had said that her mom taught her to make her messes her messages. And so I thought, well, hey, this shouldn't be just a one-time thing for me. Uh, I can do this again. And this time I can do it through Zoom. And it doesn't have – last time I met people in person, so people were kind of in my area. Now I'm talking to – um, women all over the country, and asking that question: What is your mess that became your message? With mess being anything from something catastrophic to maybe you know a a bad traffic jam or something like that. Uh, and the stories have been amazing. It's it's actually been kind of free therapy for me to to you know hear some of their insights yeah. and, and uh, their their journeys.
0: Well, and I I follow you on on Facebook and Instagram. So I see your postings about these individuals. And and what strikes me every time I read them is that we all have something. We all have a mess. And so many of us are afraid to share our messes. And I, I personally believe that there is no story that is too messy to be told because we all learn so much from each other. And there's such a connection in knowing that you're not the only person who's feeling this certain feeling or afraid of, of something. And so what you're doing is is really powerful. And I'd love to know, what is your hope for these conversations?
1: My hope is that we all learn. It's kind of like, it's, it's very similar to what you're doing. I hope we learn from each other from these stories. I just had a woman who I've known for years uh, share with me that she suffers from daily anxiety and depression. I had absolutely no idea, but this is something that my daughter also experiences. And my one hour conversation with her became a, the best conversation I ever had with my daughter. I finally mm-hmm. understood what it's like to, as much as I can to live the way my daughter does. And, and, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and my daughter realized too that hey, mom finally kind of gets it. Uh, but yeah, these conversations, these messages to messages, they're changing my life. And so my hope is that this, these messages, will also speak to other women.
0: Well, I have, I have absolutely no doubt that they will. Um, and I'm really looking forward to seeing the the final product of these fifty two conversations because I know it's going to be incredibly powerful and insightful. Thank you. Um, So we talked a little bit earlier about uh, loneliness and isolation when we were discussing your breast cancer journey. And as you've just mentioned, we are in the midst of a pandemic when many of us are feeling so isolated. What advice do you have for us during this challenging moment?
1: Well, Zoom helps, (laughs) but you know, my um, I would say what I recently told my daughter. She's at school uh, over in Florida. And although the state is more open than where I currently am in Washington State, they still, especially on her campus, are very isolated. And so she, it's her first year there. She was feeling really isolated and lonely. And I suggested that she challenge herself to, when she does leave her dorm room, to say hello to one new person a day. and then after that maybe build up and and start a conversation with one new person or or, or say hello to two new people but I think that during this period of isolation it, it takes work it takes a lot of work and it could be baby steps just like that you know you go to the grocery store and you decide okay I'm going to say hi to somebody today and prison that gets a little easier, mm-hmm. and then you build up on that, uh, but I think, yeah, it's, it's this is a difficult year, and, and um, but we need that human connection. That human connection is so important for happiness. Um, there's so many, I, I recently graduated from, I think it's called graduation from the ha- Happiness Studies Academy. Uh, oh, I love taught it. By a, a former uh, Harvard professor, um, and he shares a bunch of studies, and one of the key factors to happiness are the relationships we have. Yeah. Uh, so it's really important in this time that we try to do something to cultivate those.
0: Yeah, I and I, I love just that you know one of the few places that we can go right now is the grocery store. So I really love the idea of saying hello to somebody at the grocery store. And I think so many of us go through the store with our mask on and we're trying not to be close to people. And so it's become this really awkward um, interaction with people. And I love the thought of just, you know, saying hi to somebody versus scurrying past and (laughs) feeling nervous that you're too close to them. (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a really interesting time to try to, you know, keep these relationships. But, yeah, it's so important.
0: Yeah, I I completely agree. Um, So through a number of your, you have various mediums. You've got um, blog, you've got your book now, and you're doing many interviews and podcasts. And thank you so much for for sharing on my podcast today. And during these, these... um, throughout these various mediums, you're sharing some very intimate and very personally painful moments. And I want to ask you, how has it felt revealing your story?
1: Um, it's felt vulnerable. That's a good question because it has. And I, when I was going through my cancer journey, for example, I, um, I shared a lot because I thought that this is information. I couldn't believe I didn't know very much. So I wanted other women to know what it was like, uh, but then when I was done, you know, with everything about two years in, I decided, okay, I don't want this to be my identity anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I stopped talking about it entirely. And it wasn't until the interviews for the book came out that, that it's come up again. And so I, had, I realized that there was, uh, and same with the adoption, I, I, I don't talk about the adoption issues. And I was surprised actually when it came up, I wasn't expecting it on, a, on another interview. Um, and it was probably the first time I ever publicly talked about what it's like to be adopted. Uh, so um, it's, it's, it made me realize that there's, there's a piece of ego, for lack of better words, that I had been holding on to that I didn't realize I was holding on to. Uh, and so speaking about these things and recognizing that, yeah, these are also stories, uh, and I don't need to... I don't need to hide behind this, and and it's okay for me to share. It doesn't take anything away from who I am. Um, It's a process that I had to think about as I started to do these interviews.
0: Well, I remember when I first met you, and you shared your story, and I I was so intrigued because, you know, our life experiences from infancy, they, they shape who we are and being adopted adopting a child having breast cancer that really shapes who you are how you move within the world how you react to things how you see things and you know i think about the things that you've been through and what led you to being able to write this book you know had you not been through some of those journeys you may not have arrived at the place where you were questioning where you were at in your life. And so this is where, and I think for so many of us, you know, I became a person who I didn't want to be defined by my identity as this woman who had gotten divorced. And um, like you, I, didn't, I w- didn't want to share. And I realized that by opening my mouth and saying things that feel very scary, very vulnerable, are really helpful to somebody else, who is sitting where I was, or maybe where you were, years before? Um, and so, I really want to thank you for allowing me the honor to ask you those questions, and for you being so open and sharing um, those painful personal moments. I think they're 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 so they're going to be so inspirational for somebody who's in you, in your shoes at some point. Um, thank you. And as I mentioned, you know, you've had you've had quite a journey, and there have been some moments that have really challenged you, challenged your identity. What's given you strength to to rise above each of these challenges that have presented in your life?
1: You know, right now, honestly, the journaling really helps me. Um, that gives me a lot of a lot of strength, and and just that time to write um, has really helped, and. You know, it's interesting hearing you talk, because I remember just a few minutes ago saying that when I was diagnosed with cancer, I, I believed that there was a purpose. And I do. And, and, and so sharing, you know, maybe the part of the, the experiences is because I'm able to share these things, even though they, they could be very uncomfortable at times. Um, and I think what has given me strength is honestly all of these challenges every challenge that has happened. Right now, I say to the universe, can I just learn through reading a podcast (laughs) rather than experiencing them? But in all honesty, what has made me a stronger person is all of my experiences. You mentioned my car accident. That was um, pretty catastrophic. And... I ended up in our uh, local uh, trauma one hospital for for a period of time and a janitor really quickly a janitor had told me that I will be better and I knew he meant that not just I would physically get better but I would become a better person and that stuck with me and I thought about it every time something bad has happened Mm -hmm. so I think the strength comes really from the struggle
0: Mm -hmm. yeah I I absolutely agree and you know I went through a period of in my life for about a year where it literally it's like i i, I feel like i'd i pick myself up and something else you know the other shoe would drop and it got to a point where i said you know i feel like i've learned enough this year could we just <laughs> because i like you i i took the approach that there there's something to to learn from this and i'm going i'm going to use this to learn something about myself and to make myself feel stronger and they do these things they they, they have the capacity to, to show you something more about yourself, show you something that's already inside. You're, that strength and that courage is already there. Sometimes we're not tested to the point that we really need to draw upon it. But I think we discover these things like, you know, things that I've done that I would have never thought possible. Um, and that actually really leads me into my next question, which is what are all what are the gifts that have come through through the journeys that you've been been on?
1: The gifts uh, that have come are one, as we talked about earlier, recognizing that each day is a gift and really recognizing this has helped a lot this year with all the all the chaos and and negativity that that has happened in our country this year um, to the gift, you know, to to know that this is the way I want to spend my energy and my time. Um, help keep my my head out of, out of getting getting caught up in, in a lot of the ugliness um, that was that was and is happening um, so that's part of the gift the other gift is I, I, I'm able to relate to more people now and I, I see people as more than who they are on the outside and the more I talk to um, others like for the book and, and talk, speaking to you I, I'm recognizing that. That we all have a common story. There's something that connects us, and I've learned to that if I can focus more on our similarities as opposed to what seems like huge differences, which usually aren't are not. Are not um, that that I can appreciate people a lot more.
0: Mm. Well, and I suspect that you know people are opening up to you because you've opened up. You've been vulnerable, and you've given somebody else the space to feel safe, to share more of themselves with you, and the more we share and these deeper connections that we have are so gratifying, and I, I, you know, I I, I really feel that we're able to see that we really share so many of the same things, you know, at our core.
1: Yeah, I... I always say now if Justice Scalia and Justice Ginsburg could go along despite their fundamental differences, uh, we could all probably find something that we could laugh and
0: joke about. <laughs> absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And let's hope that happens. <laughs> well, Sherry, thank you so much for speaking with me today. It's been such an absolute pleasure, and I really want to thank you for all of the great work that you're doing and I wanted to, to ask, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you'd like our listeners to know?
1: I can't think of anything off of the top of my head, you know, other than uh, to really, really appreciate the relationships that are around you. And I used to say that people were a blessing or a lesson, and I changed that to teacher and student because... I feel that when we, when we look at someone as a teacher and a student, if we start the relationship off that way, as opposed to looking at someone as a blessing or a lesson that's kind of <laughs> looking backwards, <laughs> mm-hmm. a teacher and a student really is looking forward and, and you start to see these gifts that people bring to your life mm-hmm. and, and you see your purpose in their life and it, it's such a great groundwork for any relationship.
0: And Sherry, where can people find
1: you? um well the book is on amazon and my website is and i did talk to a marketing specialist before this so there's a lot of words here but it's an imperfectly
0: fantastic well i'll go ahead and i'll be putting those links in our show notes um and again sherry thank you so much for our conversation today i've absolutely loved it
1: thank you i've enjoyed it thoroughly <laughs> thanks so much for having me
0: thank you thank you for listening If you like what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to the Unexpected Launch podcast.